I've had a lot of walks to remember in my life. I'm sure you have too. I, I thought back over my life, what are some of the walks in my life that, that I remember? I thought about growing up with my family in Ohio, my brother and my mom and dad. My mom and dad loved to camp and get out in nature, so we do that a lot, and we take a lot of hikes. And I always remember on a lot of those hikes, my dad would stop in the middle of the woods and say, listen, do you hear that? Do you hear how quiet that is? And from an early age, he gave us an, just this appreciation for being out in God's creation and what God had made there. I remember walks to the principal's office. <laughs> I was the kid in high school. I didn't realize it at the time. I thought I was cool. Um, but, but I was the kid in high school that every time someone came up with a great idea that would get them in trouble, they dared me to do it. And I do it because I got the last. It wasn't until later that I realized I was the dummy doing their, their dirty work. But one, one day they came up with the idea, hey, here's some disappearing ink. Mrs. Enlow's up there teaching English. Why don't you walk up behind her and just shoot it on her back? I said, okay, that's, that's a good idea. <laughs> so I snuck up there. She didn't see me. Unfortunately, the bottle just made a noise. It went, and she sat her notes down and said, Scott, what are you doing? Why is my back wet? Sent me to the principal's office. I remember walking down that hall saying, what, uh, <laughs> what's going to happen here? I remember walks at my wedding. I remember waiting down front and seeing the love of my life at the end of the aisle, getting ready to walk down that aisle, knowing that we were going to start our lives together. We really remember it a little extra clearly because my uncle was doing the, the videotaping and he had it zoomed in too far. So when the song started for her to start walking down, he realized he was zoomed in too far and then he like dropped the camera. So you get the ceiling and then you get the floor and then, oh, there she is. Okay, so we, every time we watch that video, we remember that. I remember walking back down the aisle with her knowing that here we go on, on life's journey together. I remember walking my grandfather's casket to his graveside. I was one of the pallbearers. I remember the grief uh, that went along with that after he had had a car accident about uh, 10 years ago. I remember the first time I walked down the hospital hallway with our babies, especially the first one, holding that little guy and, and feeling like I was going to drop him. I was so scared. I was shaking. I'd been up all night and I'm going to drop this guy. We're responsible for this little guy. These were all walks to remember, and I'm sure as you guys think about your own lives, you can recall uh, your own walks to remember. Tonight, we're going to look at two disciples that would take a walk that they would remember uh, the rest of their lives, from Jerusalem to their hometown, which was Emmaus, about seven miles away. So average walking speed, you can figure this is about a two and a half hour walk that these guys are heading down. It was late Sunday afternoon of the Resurrection Sunday. So it may have been right around the, the time of day that, that we're at, maybe a little earlier. We know that because later in their walk, it's, it starts to get dark. And I want to walk you through everything they had already experienced that day. They were with the 11 and the other disciples that were, were there when the women came back from the tomb and said, hey, the, the tomb is empty. And we went there and we heard angels tell us that Jesus is risen. But you know what it says, these guys and the rest of the disciples, what their response was to the women? It's nonsense. You women are crazy. 
It's just nonsense. So these two that were walking down this road were two of those others. And where I want to start tonight is just to say that life, if you've lived it for any amount of time, you know it's full of questions, right? You cannot walk through this life without encountering puzzles, things that you can't quite figure out on your own. It's full of questions. I want to start at Luke chapter 24, verse 13. This is the beginning of their walk, and I want us to walk with them. Luke 24, 13 says, Now that same day, same day as the resurrection, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And the word that the author uses in the Greek there for talking, discussing, is a word that has the idea of dis- volleying ideas back and forth in an attempt to make sense of something. You've been there with, with loved ones in your lives, right? You come to a situation, you don't know where to go, and you just bounce it back and forth. How do we make sense of what go, what's going on? They were probably even desperate in their attempt to make sense of it. Life's like that. It's full of questions. Here's the thing. Jesus often allows us to wrestle with our questions for a time. Have you noticed that? If you're like me, you wish you would always have the answer like this, all right, I'm going through a quandary, I want an answer right now, but sometimes Jesus allows us to wrestle with it for for hours, sometimes for days, weeks, months, years, I hear you whispering, you're right. Verse 15, it says, as they talked and discussed these things, they're, they're wrestling through it, trying to make sense of it, as they did that with each other, Jesus himself came up. And walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Jesus had this special ability just to show up places after his resurrection and to keep people from recognizing him if he so chose. It says he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? You know he knew, right? (laughs) But it says, look at their response. It says, they stood still their faces downcast. Jesus' question touched on a sensitive spot, so much so that they stopped walking. Have you ever had someone that cares about you in your life ask you a question like that, that you're just going through life and they ask you a question and it just, wow, that, that cut right to the need of what I'm, what I'm dealing with. He really hit a nerve, and I believe he knew He would hit a nerve when he asked that question. One of them, verse 18, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and don't know the things that have happened there in these days? It was like common knowledge. The whole town was abuzz with what had happened to Jesus these past few days. It was the topic of conversation. Jesus' response, what things? (laughs) Yeah, I hear you laughing. That made me laugh too. But what things? What an awesome teacher Jesus is, right? I mean, for him to say what things is actually kind of ironic. These things were the talk of the town, but he had lived these things. I mean, he, he could have lectured them on every one of these things. He could have lectured them on the loneliness he felt in the Garden of Gethsemane as he felt that anguish and all of his friends fell asleep on him. 
He could have lectured them on what it felt like to be betrayed by one of his closest friends. He could have lectured them on the injustice of every trial that he went through. There's no justice in those trials. He could have lectured them on the intense searing pain of a whip ripping flesh off of his back. He could have lectured them on the weight of a cross on the open wounds on his back. He could have lectured them on the pain of nails being driven into his hands and his feet. He could have lectured them on the intense spiritual and emotional pain of his father turning away from him for the first time ever because he had our sin and the sins of the whole world on him at the cross. He could have lectured them about what it was like for the maker of life to cross from life into death. He could have lectured them on what it was like to stare death in the face and say, no, not this time. You cannot keep me, death. I am stronger than you. And my Father's love is stronger than you. I win so that those who believe in me will be able to have eternal life. He could have lectured them on what it was like to walk out of a tomb and go see his friends. He could have given them quite a lecture. But like the wonderful teacher that Jesus is, he helps them process through what they're dealing with by asking questions. He says, what are you discussing? What things? And I want us to think about our own lives tonight. What are you discussing as you walk along in your life? What questions or circumstances are you wrestling with tonight that you cannot figure out how all the pieces go together? What situations are you just having a hard time making sense of? What's causing you discouragement? What's causing you pain? And I want to ask you this question. Maybe you haven't got a the answer you want from God yet, but could it be that Jesus is walking right alongside you, letting you wrestle through those questions to lead you to the truth, just like he was with these two? The trouble is, when we start wrestling with these questions on our own, sometimes we come to the wrong answers, don't we? I'm maybe just speaking for myself. Listen to, to some of the answers they had come to. 19, second half. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. That's who we're talking about. I just can't imagine him listening. Like, he wants to tell the secret, but he, he, it'd be a tough spot. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. This last statement is so full of irony. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. <laughs> you see, they had so much of the right information to work with, right? They had it right there. They knew Jesus was powerful. 
They said that. They knew he'd been crucified. They even knew it was the third day. And it says in Mark that Jesus had told his followers specifically what would happen. Listen to how specific he got in Mark 8.31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Pretty straightforward, right? They had the information. Still, their logic came up short. They were trying to put it together, and their logic couldn't quite do it. For one thing, they said he was a prophet, which is not incorrect, but it's incomplete. He was a prophet, but he's also God in flesh, the Son of God. Not to mention they were also so focused on Jesus saving Israel from the Roman Empire. You remember what they said about we had hoped that he would redeem Israel? They were looking for that. That's what they expected. So much so that they were missing a Savior that died and rose again to deliver them from sin and death. It didn't line up with what they were looking for. Let's go on in verse 22. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They often do, don't they? All right, tough crowd. All right, they went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb, as Peter and John, and found it just as the women had said, but Jesus they did not see. So these guys are telling Jesus that they were there when the women came back and said, hey, the tomb is empty. They had heard these women say, angels told us he's risen. Peter and John had even gone down there and found it empty themselves, but still they came to the wrong answers. You know what Luke 24, 11 said earlier in this passage? They thought what the women were saying was nonsense. And I think about that. All the right information, but they still, <laughs> still couldn't put it together. And I wonder what's going through their minds. Maybe... It just seemed too good to be true. You know, sometimes someone will tell you something, you're like, no, I'm not going to hope in that because it's just, it's too big to hope in. I'm not going to get my dream shattered. Or maybe their discouragement was shouting so loudly in their ears that they couldn't hear the truth. You've been there, right? The circumstances around you are so big and so dark and so nasty that the truth can't even get in. Like we said, maybe their own expectations of what they were looking for in this Savior got in the way of seeing what really was. And I want to ask us tonight, what nonsense, and I say that with quotes, what nonsense does God want you to believe that you're having a hard time taking in? Maybe because of your discouragement. Maybe because you can't make sense of it. Maybe because you can't figure out how all the pieces come together. Some of that nonsense that I want to say to you tonight is that he loved you so much. He sent his only son to die a criminal's death and rise again. Maybe you think it's nonsense that even your sins can be forgiven. Maybe you look at your life and say, maybe for them but not for me me. Maybe the nonsense you're having a hard time believing is that God has an awesome plan for your life. And it's more than just biding your time away until you die. He wants to use you 
for his purposes. He wants to bring meaning to your life. Maybe that sounds like nonsense to you. What about this, that there can be hope and strength even when we're facing death. Courage because of what he's done. What about the idea that he's at work even in the trial you're going through right now? That he's walking with you. Do you believe that? Or is it too good to be true? That there is this deep, meaningful peace available to us if we'll only trust in him. You want peace so bad, but that sounds like too good to be true. When we encounter the risen Jesus, we come to discover that he is the answer. The risen Jesus is the answer. Verse 25. I don't see him yelling this. I see him saying this gently, but boldly. He said to them, how foolish you are. Sometimes we need to hear that, right? How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Imagine being a part of that meeting. Jesus sitting down with you, opening up the Old Testament, saying, look, this verse is talking about me. And what I want to say here is you cannot understand the Bible apart from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ because it all points to him, the risen Savior. And if you don't believe me, listen to what he told the Pharisees in John 5. He said, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you have not come to me to have eternal life. They knew it inside and out. But it wasn't enough. I try to imagine what he might have gone through in the Old Testament. and th- These are just guesses. But I think of a few passages that he could have gone to. Genesis 3, where God told Eve that one of her offspring would crush the serpent's head. I could see him saying, yeah, that was me, and I did that the moment I died on a cross. I crushed his head. His power's gone. I can see him going to Genesis 22, where Abraham offers up his only son. Yeah, that's what my father did. He offered up his only son. I can see him going to Exodus 12, the last plague in Egypt where God said, hey, slaughter a lamb, Israelites, put the blood on your doorposts, and when the Spirit comes through to destroy the Egyptians, if I see the blood on the doorpost, I'll pass over. That points to me because I'm your Passover lamb. You trust in me, and you're spared from God's wrath. I can see him going to Isaiah 53. You see these prophecies, Cleopas? says someone will be pierced for your transgressions and crushed for your iniquities, but he would rise to see the light of day again. That's me. Man, wouldn't it be awesome to sit in there. Verse 28, it says, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day's almost over. 
So he went in to stay with them. And I thought about this. I want you to think about this too. Did you notice how he didn't force himself on these two? He is prepared to keep on walking. He only stayed when they urged him strongly. You know, and it makes me wonder, what if they had let him keep on going? What if their own priorities had been so important to them that they didn't take the time to, to welcome him in? What if he had walked on and they went to bed that night filled with the same discouragement and grief that they had earlier in the day? And it makes me ask the same question in our lives. What if he's at the door of our, our lives tonight? But our own priorities, our own ideas, our own way of life is, is too important to us. We don't have time to invite him in. And we choose to let him walk on. Now wrestle with that. Say, what would we miss out on if we did that? What would these two have missed out on if they had let him walk on? We don't have to guess. Verse 30, this is what they would have missed. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Listen to this. Then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. There he goes again. <laughs> but their eyes were open. And they recognized him. And look, listen to verse 32. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? While well, he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. You see, without the living Jesus, the Bible is just dead history. You can memorize the whole thing. You can quote it backwards and forwards and still be spiritually dead, empty inside, separate from God. But when Jesus, when you encounter the risen Savior, it comes to life because guess what? He's alive. He's alive. And when you believe in Jesus, if you have, you know this, the Holy Spirit will open your eyes to the truth of his word. So it'll no longer be dead history. As you read it, it'll be a conversation with God. You can experience that burning inside your heart. Some of you long for something like that. You've been empty in your heart, and you say, man, when it talks about something burning in there, it's been a while since I've experienced anything like that. And I don't want anyone in here to miss that. I don't want this to be just a dead book. I can promise you tonight that whatever you think is more important than that, whatever you think is more important than inviting Jesus in, pales in comparison to that intimate, wonderful conversation you have with God when this comes to life. Even to believers, if you're a believer here tonight, Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him. And he with me. You think about the sweetness of sitting down for a meal with a good friend and catching up. And I wonder how long has it been since you enjoyed that kind of closeness with your risen Savior. And just to encourage you, that's available tonight. It's available right now. I want to close with this thought. Once you've met the risen Jesus, you can't help but tell others. See, you can learn a lot of facts and memorize a bunch of stuff and 
You don't feel the need to tell anybody. That's a, it's just a bunch of facts. But when you've met someone that was dead and rose again, and you got a relationship with them, it's the most natural thing in the world to say, you won't believe what happened. All right, listen to this, verse 33. It says, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. You remember how they were so worried about the time? They're saying it's late. We better, better cash in for the night. <laughs> well, evidently, that, that doesn't matter anymore because it says at once. They hit that road seven miles. It was two and a half hours to their house. It was probably an hour and a half back because they wanted to tell these people, the other disciples, what they'd seen. They didn't care. Roads at that time were notorious for robbers and bandits at night. They didn't care. They had to tell some people they saw Jesus and he was alive. Nothing was going to stop them. It says, there they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. This is the original, he is risen, he is risen indeed. You know how we do that on Easter? These people are going to say, yeah, I saw him. And they're saying, yeah, we saw him too. It wasn't a ritual. They, they had seen a living Savior, and I hope it's not a ritual for us. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. You see, if you've got that personal relationship with a risen Savior, that's just the natural response. What doesn't make sense is that we're going to keep that a secret. It doesn't make sense. If we have that moment-by-moment, day-by-day experience with a risen Savior, Sunday, missional community day, whenever you get together with other believers, is going to be like, hey, I can't wait to tell my fellow brothers and sisters what happened with my Jesus this week. I can't wait to tell them what he did. Now, what if church was like that, where we all came in and just told each other our stories? And my guess is if we had those kind of stories, and we do, I've heard them. I'm going to tell you one in a minute. It wouldn't stay there for long in the church. It, it would go out there. You know, it'd go into our workplaces. It'd go into the places we shop and the places we eat, into the coffee shop. And you know what? It wouldn't be something forced. We wouldn't be doing it because we had to. It'd be like telling somebody that you got engaged right, or, or that you're going to Hawaii, or that you're going to have a baby. Half the time when those things happen, people just look at you, and they see the smile on your face, and they say, what's up with you, man? That's how it ought to be with our relationship with a risen Savior, and that's how it can be, something you can't help but smile about. Listen to verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Now, in his account of this, John tells us that those doors were locked, and here goes Jesus again. He just shows up, and I'm thinking, man, if our bodies are anything like his in eternity, we're going to have some sweet games of hide-and-seek in heaven. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) But did you catch what he said when he showed up there? He said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And that's exactly what a risen Savior makes available in our lives today. He he makes available deep and meaningful peace. Isn't that what we long for? This world is hard sometimes. Wouldn't it be nice to have some peace inside about whatever questions are troubling you, whatever is confusing you? 
He's the answer. He's the way to that peace. And I want to tell you one quick story about that. Those of you who were here last week heard the beginning of this. You'll hear the end tonight. Those of you who weren't here are in for a treat. You talk about sharing stories of the risen Savior showing up. Steve and Virgie back there have been walking their own path uh, with Virgie's mom. She, she had had a disease that was similar to Alzheimer's. It made it impossible to have any meaningful communication. And the doctor said, hey, her, her time's coming close. And Virgie and her friends and her family and Steve began to pray because her mom had never trusted in Jesus as her Savior. And how are we going to share this? Because now she's in this state where God... And Virgie told us last week, she got up here. <laughs> I called her on the spot, and she came right up. That was awesome. We didn't know we were going to do that. But she told the story of how about 10, 10, 11 days ago, maybe a couple weeks, uh, she was sitting with her mom. And her mom had a real concerned, anxious look on her face. And Virgie said, what's wrong, Mom? And they went on to have one hour of crystal clear conversation, and her mom said, I'm scared. I'm scared of dying and what it will bring. And Virgie told her all about her own relationship with Jesus and a Savior that died and rose again, and that if her mom put her trust in him, she could have peace knowing that she'd go to be with him forever. And you know what? Virgie's mom prayed with her to believe in Jesus. Virgie even said, do you believe in Jesus, Mom? Yeah, I do. And Virgie watched her mom's face shift from this anxious, fearful look to total peace. And right after that, she slipped back into her normal state. And just this past Thursday morning at 9 a.m., she went to be with Jesus. And you could chalk that up to coincidence if you wanted to. I don't believe that for a minute. I believe a risen Savior knew that her mom needed rescued. And he set up a divine appointment. Gave her peace even in the face of death. I love that. So what I want to do as we close tonight is if you've already trusted in him, if you've already embraced Jesus as your Savior, I want you to take a few minutes as the worship team comes back up here and just celebrate that closeness. Talk to him. He's right here with you. Listen to him. If you're here tonight and you haven't placed your trust in Jesus, maybe up till now he's been sort of a, a, no, it's been num, a number of facts, it's been sort of intellectual, maybe you haven't come to that place where you say, I want a relationship with you, Jesus. I want to tell you, it's as simple as this, just to say, Jesus, I don't know how all these pieces fit together. I don't get how this all works. But I know you're standing at the door of my heart. I know you want a relationship with me. And I believe. I can't explain it, but I, I believe that you died on that cross and rose again for my sins in my place. You took my sin upon yourself. And I believe you rose again. And I'm tired of trying to figure it out on my own. I embrace you as my Savior. I want that relationship. I want to sit down and talk with you. I want that peace that you offer. 
And what I want to tell you tonight is if you prayed that prayer, if you believed that with all your heart, you became a child of God. You know, I'm looking forward to May 29th when we get out there and barbecue and have some baptisms. And if you did that, that'd be a great time to get out there, be baptized and say, I love Jesus. I believe in what he did and I've invited him into my heart. Even if you've done that before and you've been looking for a chance to do that, that'd be wonderful. If you did that tonight, I hope you'll talk to me or someone else. We'd love to walk with you. Lord, I want to thank you. I thank you that you're not just an idea. You're not just a set of facts. You're a risen Savior. You are the answer. You did not stay in that tomb. You overcame death and sin for us. And you longed to meet with each one of us. Jesus, I praise you for being victorious over death. Father, I praise you for raising him from the dead. Holy Spirit, your power was at work there. God, you are awesome. And you give us hope for whatever life throws at us. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.